0: Trying to hire a PM is almost like trying to hire a CEO in some ways. A good product manager is the CEO of the product. That's the thing I've heard a lot of times. As the CEO, you do have an ability to fire people. One of my favorite things to do actually is, you know when I come in as a PM of a new team, is have them over to dinner. The idea of hacking a team of eight people around a table that seats three comfortably, you bond. Hi, I'm Craig Kirstens, And I'm Remus Silkitis. And you're listening to Practical Product, a bi-weekly series where we discuss product management and some of the unique challenges we face in dealing with defining the right product and all of the coordination necessary to help teams build it right. Practical Product is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program
1: dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproduct@heavybit.com at heavybit.com, or on Twitter at practicalproduct.
0: This week, we want to talk about this idea that's been floated around for a little while that the PM is the CEO of their area. I was actually at a wedding, you know, this past weekend, and it it came up of a guy looking to get into product management, and he's like, you know, well, what do you think about this idea? And well, forty five minutes later, you know, we we kind of got to some conclusion about it. But I thought it'd actually be fun to kind of come back to this topic. It's a thing that's often talked about. If you're not familiar with it, it actually comes from a really really wonderful essay by Ben Horowitz that's about 15 years old now.
1: I think it's a little bit more than that, but definitely before the dot-com bust,
0: maybe? And and to be fair, if you actually go and find it on the Andreessen Horowitz blog now, he caveats and says, this is really old, it may not (laughs) be relevant for today. Yet people still kind of cite it as a a pillar of product management. And uh, just to read a little bit of it, so there's some context here. It starts off, good product managers know the market, the product, the product line, and the competition extremely well, and operate from a strong basis of knowledge and confidence. A good product manager is the CEO of the product. It goes on and kind of goes into more of a, you know, good product manager, bad product managers, bad product managers have lots of excuses, et cetera. There is a lot of really good insights in there. For that one, one piece right there in that second sentence, a good product manager is the CEO of the product, that's a thing I've heard a lot of times, and I think there's a lot of strong opinions about it, and we just thought it'd be fun to kind of dissect that a little bit today.
1: So product manager as CEO, do you want to just start it off right off the bat and say, "Do you agree with this?" Yes or no?"
0: Yes or no, is, it's hard, right? So <laughs> it depends depends. It depends. It depends. You know, um, our uh, favorite phrase there. You know, I can see a lot of where he's coming from there, right? That idea of like, you don't make excuses, the buck stops with me." I, I fully support that idea, right? There's a lot of kind of analogies that that are drawn throughout the rest of it but as the PM you should be responsible for your area. So don't disagree with that at all.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll agree with that. I think that it's one of these situations where you may not be the one building product. I mean you're shepherding it, but if something should go wrong, you're basically on the hook for all the problems.
0: Yep, I mean the, you know the CEO like you're responsible for the company's success or failure, right? If that doesn't happen the buck stops with you. So uh, agreed on that front, but you know, I think there's one uh, interesting piece right off that the PM has no responsibility, or they have responsibility, no ability to actually enforce that responsibility over other people. So no authority.
1: So are you saying that they have no way to coerce individuals to do what they need to do?
0: Uh, you might be able to through pain, but uh, <laughs> not through any normal means, right? Which as the CEO, you do have an ability to fire people.
1: Sure, but I still think PMs have the ability to coerce teams to doing what they need to do. I mean, that's one level of power, isn't
0: it? So, what are some of those examples of? Like, how do PMs actually accomplish some of that?
1: Well, actually, I I like to talk about uh, something a little bit different when it comes to PM as CEO of product, and that is, you know, how does this the PM actually draw their their power in terms of owning that product area? because I think there's a good social psychology study that was done back in the late 50s that kind of lends itself to this difference between product manager as CEO and PM as not CEO. I guess that's the characterization we'll go with right now. But this study by French and Raven, I implore all of the listeners to go check this out. It's on Wikipedia and there's a great uh, summary of it. But basically there's five sources of power when it comes to relationships within an organization. There's legitimate, meaning that the person has a position of authority. There's referent, meaning that you have some affiliation with the people that you're working with. There's expert power, meaning that you've got some technological or knowledge about
0: something that's important. Which you may or may not have, right? That was one I think we, we've talked a little bit about before. Like If you come from that technology background, you have a little more authority. If you don't have that, it's harder, so okay. For
1: sure, and then the other two are coercive and rewards. So reward's, I think, pretty self-explanatory. You can get someone to do something if you give them the, the carrot in front of them, right? And that coercive one is... You know, the one I characterize more as like the Steve Jobs type, where you're gonna try and get someone to do what you want no matter what. You know, when I look at these five sources of power, you know, I like to make the distinction that the CEO actually has legitimate, the PM does not, but the other four both so legitimate meaning meaning that you're in you're in a position of authority. You can do what needs to be done no matter what. You have the power to say, go do this. The PM does not have that power. But the other four, referent, expert, coercive, and reward, the PM can pull all of those off along with the CEO in any ways possible. I mean, the CEO has a little bit more power to do more expansive type um, exercises with any uh, level of power, but
0: the PM can still pull off some of those ones. So let's dissect a few of those because I think some of those are probably pretty interesting, right? (laughs) For sure. Uh, So, what about reward? Like I, I, actually don't have the ability to go and give you, you know, a nice bonus if you do a great job. Usually, yeah, in but some there, cases, there may be some some exceptional cases where you can make that case. It can happen, or there's some slush fund. But like, how do you reward people as a PM?
1: Well, that's you're you're assuming that money is the only thing that matters, is it? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, for some individuals, that it, it may that may be the only thing, right? Sure. But uh, you know, there's other ways to reward individuals within the organization, and I think this comes up. When we talk about PM as the selfless individual within the project team because you know it's the team that's building the product and they should be the ones getting all of the praise because they're the ones that actually put it together and that gives them some reward, meaning that they've gotten some recognition that, hey, I've done something, I've accomplished it and here I am, I'm getting recognition within the organization.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think that essentially that internal marketing for the team is huge, right? Like, as the CEO, you need to be a big cheerleader at the times, you need to corral the troops, get it going in the right direction, but then give that praise and make people feel like, hey, they really did do a good job as the PM. You can do a lot of that through just internal marketing, right? It's you. A lot of people won't stand up and talk about the, the exciting things that the team has done. If you do that, you're probably better than a lot of PMs, or at least your team will think so.
1: I love that word, excitement. That's one of my favorite things to do in the organization, at least you know, with the groups that I work with. I get super excited about everything that we're working on, and that actually is, well how would you characterize that? I would say that it is... Um, the reason they don't hang out with you outside of work? Well, that might be part of it, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's infectious. You know, everyone on the team gets, you know, worked up about it and they feel a sense of affiliation, which is some of that referent power that we're talking about where they feel part of a team that has actually accomplished something.
0: Yeah. And it's part of the team. You know, you hope you're all in it together. You're focused on actually building a business. You care about what you're working on. And if that's the case, then moving the business in the right way, seeing that, that happen and being thanked for it, praised for it, and that showing off to the rest of the org usually helps quite a bit.
1: For sure. So, let's go back to the expert power that we talked about a little bit before. You know, we said that uh, you know, if you've come from a technology background, that might give you some authority over what's going on on the project team. But I also want to point out that that may not always be the case, and that I think largely depends on the type of organization that you're working with because there are different types of political rule within these organizations, like, if you try and pull that off, and let's say a bureaucracy, for example, you know, bureaucracy is very much about the rule of law. This is how we do things. You have to follow a certain, you know, process. That kind of expert power actually might not
0: work. And I think it varies a little bit on the level of PM, too, right? Like if you've got a more junior PM, you need a little bit more of that expert power because you don't have a track record to back it up with. Whereas if you are more of a senior PM, you just have a track record that kind of speaks for itself. You're also not down in the details, right? You're more of a, what do we say, a strategy guy, right? So (laughs) you're not down in the weeds doing things. You're not as hands-on. You're still doing high-value things, but it's a a different level. So there's kind of a different level of expertise that needs to come with it. You need to bring expertise about the market, about the industry, where things are moving, competitors, et cetera. So you, you
1: mentioned the senior individual. Is that someone that can only get that kind of power by being with the organization for a while, or can someone come in and just start off right off the bat?
0: It depends. Like, It depends on where you come from historically, right? Do you know about the space? Do you have a good track record? What's the organization like? Some organizations welcome new external expertise. Some people, it's very much in-house. Some organizations only promote from within and you're expected to grow that way. So there's a lot of factors there, but you definitely can come in from the outside and contribute, but it depends on the organization, what the expertise is, and so forth.
1: Yeah, this, this reminds me of a previous episode where we talked about hiring PMs. It feels like trying to hire PMs almost like trying to hire a CEO in some ways because you're, you're trying to balance all of these factors and sources of power that this person needs to pull from to be able to be successful in this organization while PM is, I think we're agreeing here that they're not exactly CEO, but you have to almost treat it, that position in hiring as such to make sure that they can get done what is needed Based upon, you know, whatever the executive roadmap may be for that company,
0: and I think there's, I think you hit on there that they need to have a lot of different skills and kind of be cross-disciplined, right? That's another thing that the CEO is very common. I I've only been CEO of a very small startup of my own, but the things I had to do that I really didn't want to around accounting or marketing or sometimes engineering, you basically have to span everything, right? As you grow, you you still have people who you know, have more expertise in those areas, but the buck stops with you and all of those things roll into you. So you've got to have some level of operating expertise across all of them. As a PM, it's it's very similar. You need to know about marketing and product marketing. You need to interface with sales, you need to interface with engineering, you need to interface with customers, you need to interface, you know, market internally, market externally. So there's a lot of different hats you've got to wear. It varies based on the organization you have of how much you do which ones. But you do have to spread yourself across a number of different areas. Have you
1: ever worked in an organization or have you ever been that CEO that's used coercion to get teams to to do what you want? That's a loaded question. Come on. Given the teams I've worked with,
0: I'm gonna pass on answering on that <laughs> latter one.
1: Let's let's rephrase the question. Have you observed teams where PMs have been coercive and compare that to maybe even as an organization where you've been at where CEOs may have done that or you've seen CEOs act like that? Give me some background. I don't see, think I've ever seen a
0: place where it created long-term success. Mm. In contrast, I've seen, uh, actually in a similar fashion, I've seen where monetary rewards were created as an alternative to coercion, right? If you do this really hard thing, you'll get rewarded in this way, and it actually creates some long-term damage. So I, I don't know that either of them is you know healthy as a, a stopgap, which is where you usually find that kind of coercion you find that kind of reward set up, right? It's it's meant for short-term games instead of long-term games. I mean, should
1: I use the Steve Jobs example? Like, I feel like that's the one that comes up all the time when I talk about CEOs and coercions. It's, I am Steve, I do what I want, and you fall in line, yet everyone still followed Apple, and it is what it is today as a result. I mean,
0: isn't that the counterexample to this? I think if you have a really strong CEO, you have the ability to do that. If you have a really strong PM, they're not going to last very long. That's trying to do that, um, from, from what I've seen from experience, because you don't have that legitimate power, right? With the CEO, if they're wrong, the company's gone, and that is a, a different barrier. That you know, we've got to give a lot of respect to a CEO, right? Like you're there putting food on the table for a lot of people. A lot of people have invested a lot into a company when they join. You're responsible for making that successful. So there is a separate kind of set of responsibility that truly comes along with that
1: for sure. Now I've got all these visions of all these people trying to, you know, that are relying on the CEO to do a good job, you know, to make sure that the company stays solvent because otherwise, you know, they're out of a job. But in contrast, you know, if you're a chief product officer at a fairly large company, you may have that same responsibility, wouldn't you? I mean, if if you are managing a product line of something that brings in a billion
0: dollars, don't you have the same kind of legitimate power? True, but I think you maybe have a few more chances. You've got other checks and balances in place, right? There's other people looking on the outside, and by that time, you've built up some experience of doing that. Hopefully, you're not missing over and over and over. Otherwise, how did you get into that that role? But I co- I, I
1: coerced people to get into that role. That's what I did.
0: <laughs> Coming back to this idea of um, <laughs> of like, can a CEO do it? I think we had a, a really interesting you know example from our last episode where we look in Yammer being so data-driven now, that was the way of overcoming that, right? So there are other ways to counterbalance that. In product, you usually have to show up with hard data, which is another form of kind of that expert power, right? If you show up with actual data, which you should be doing as a PM, not being driven purely on intuition, in some way you're being more thorough than than maybe the other side of it.
1: Somehow we've worked data back into every single episode. I love that. Okay, so data makes you an expert, possibly, right? I mean, it's, we probably could have another episode just on intuition versus data. I think we've kind of settled maybe not totally on it, needing to have both to some extent. I think we touched on it in that same episode.
0: You missed one of them that you hit earlier. That I think actually the PM might have some actual source of power that the CEO might not as easily. What's that? Referent.
1: Oh, the, uh, the affiliation one. That's the one we have not t- yet talked about.
0: So this one I think is, is really interesting that without that legitimate power mm-hmm. as a PM, right, without that ability to come in to fire someone, to give them a raise, to say, you have to listen to me because I said to do this, you have to find other ways of, of getting things done. We've hit on a lot of them. But I think one of them is bonding with your team. right? Having a shared sense of vision, value, you affiliate with that team and there's a sense of bonding there.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I like to do as part of that is actually define a set of product principles for whatever it is that we're working on, whether it be at the project level or just for the group at large, because those principles are what should guide us in terms of how we think about our customers, how we build that product, so that it at least creates some kind of, like you're saying, cohesion between all the individuals, so that that way anytime we give a presentation in front of the organization, anytime we talk to customers... We always have the same themes that hey, this this is who we are, and this is how we're going to deliver something.
0: How's that different from a company set of shared visions, though? Like, doesn't the company most of the time have something like that?
1: Uh, if it's a good company, they should. I mean, they should have their mission statements. They should have you know their quarterly, yearly goals, or whatever, whatever it is that they use OKRs, V two moms, whatever. You know, Salesforce loves to do the V two moms thing, where you know that all cascades down through the organization, such that. You know everyone has a shared set of values that go from Mark Benihoff all the way down, right? and And that's what kind of pulls the organization together. I think okrs do you know accomplish somewhat the same task. but those I think those great organizations have those processes in place to pull that together
0: Now, do you just go and mirror the organization in? because don't you just feel like it's part of the the bigger organization? So there's no one thing I've seen that's very empowering is when a smaller team, smaller product area feels really bonded together, right? And that happens in a smaller group rather than the bigger company. They feel like they have a clear goal, they're all aligned, while they're they're tied to the bigger company. That creates some really powerful unity, and I've seen product teams make a lot more momentum that way, sometimes, than by differentiating from the larger org.
1: There's a distinction I want to make here in that, yes, things may cascade down from exec levels down to the teams, PMs, et cetera, You know, Going through the motions is one thing, but you actually, when you define these things, product principles, goals, values, whatever they may be for your group, you really have to live them and you have to espouse them on a daily basis and in the work that you do, because if you do not do those things, then you've just gone through the motions and there is not going to be any team cohesion whatsoever.
0: What happens if you disagree there?
1: Well, you shouldn't because as a team, you should be doing this together.
0: I mean, you know, if you disagree from the kind of upper level that cascades down, right?
1: Well, then that that's a larger issue, right And this this gets back to you know the types of power that are used from the levels above to you and your team because you know, depending on the type of organization that you're in, bureaucracy, you know, the expert type organization, which is the technocracy, where they lead by knowledge etc you know, depending on how that organization is will dictate you know whether or not you should believe it in or not i mean if you're in a bureaucracy you kind of just take whatever is above you and you say yes
0: sure so then how do we get that uh that affiliation right well
1: the affiliation i think is it, it can be done many ways and one of the things that i think of is Drawing that shared vision. I mean, it's kind of like the values thing that we've just been talking about, but you can do that on a much smaller scale than you would. Like, you know, I'm going to define a five year vision. You can define a vision for the next three months. You can define a vision for the next six months. And it could be rallied around a single project. The important part that I think needs to be done is that you need to show value for your target audience as a PM. I mean, you do that as a CEO as well, but you're going to have to do it on a much smaller scale. It's just the difference in scale there.
0: Yeah, and I think you have a different opportunity too on the people side. As the CEO when you're, you know, having a drink with an employee or out to dinner at the company event, like you're still the CEO. Uh, as the PM when you're, you know, at a company offsite, you can be one of the group. Much much easier. So you can actually build some of those personal connections much easier. One of my favorite things to do actually is, you know, when I come in as a PM of a new team is is have them over to dinner. Back in the South, having people over for dinner happens all the time. Bay Area not so much, you know, we tend to say let's go out to the restaurant here. Having people over, maybe it's because we have, you know, no square footage because it's the Bay Area. But the <laughs> the idea of you know hacking a, a team of eight people around a table that seats three comfortably, you bond and you have some affiliation there, right? Now it's maybe on the personal basis, but some of that can help quite a bit. There's you know having people over for dinner, going out for drinks, for coffee, offsites. I think are a super important aspect of this. If you're not having a regular offsite with just your team unit, that's the product and the engineering. Then you're missing out on a huge opportunity, and this actually comes back to some of what you're talking about before, the that shared vision, that roadmap, that alignment of where we're headed, what our goals are, that's a great opportunity to do that at a team offsite.
1: I just want to point out that I think that depends again on the type of organization that you're working with. Like for organizations that are much more collaborative, I think that makes way more sense. I think for organizations that are much more command and control, I think you can still do some of that, but you're gonna run up against the processes in the organization that may, for lack of better words, hold you back from using something like referent power to get a team to do whatever it is that you need to do. You may have to understand the team and use something else to get them to get them to that shared vision. Maybe maybe it be reward. Maybe it's using your expert power or something else. But again, legitimate as a PM or your
0: favorite, <laughs> actually coercing them.
1: Well, that's not my favorite.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so uh, it's not that you have to have that affiliation, that referent power. Like It's one option out of many, and it, it helps to have the toolbox of all of them, right?
1: Of course, and these are things that you, you build that toolbox over time. This is something that I don't think you are just innately born with. I think as you become more senior and as you become a PM that has you know been on the street a, a little bit longer, you're able to build this toolbox and know the kind of levers based on the team that you're working with and the organization that you're in to be able to effectively manage your product area without having to use legitimate
0: power. So we we talked a little bit kind of all over the place. I want to come back to one thing we hit on a little earlier about kind of communication. The PM's a great cheerleader internally for the org to talk about what your team's doing, to get the right recognition. But the CEO is very externally facing. Like that is the face of the company usually. Sometimes it's the brand, but a lot of times it's actually the CEO of the company. Is there any parallel there for the PM really?
1: Well, isn't it all the stuff that you do all the time? Isn't it going, speaking at conferences, you know, writing blog posts, doing all that kind of stuff and referencing your team as part
0: of it? Maybe there's some of that. But I mean, I'm wondering if we're missing some pieces there, right? Yes, there's maybe speaking at conferences if you're a developer focused company. That's the thing that even if you're not an engineer, you can do as a PM, uh, assuming you have some technical background, or you can just pretend really, really well. (laughs) Just like me. Just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) There is, you know, blog posts. Yeah, that's a public written. I mean, but what about this actual kind of public representation of the company
1: so wait are you saying that the PM would be an external representative of the organization or the face of something
0: yeah I mean how often does that happen or how often should it happen
1: I mean I don't I don't know that I have a data-driven perspective on this I mean I think uh, my terse understanding of it would be that you know I think of the like the Ken Norton's of the world right and I think of Google as a result you know that's someone that is not the CEO but I' highly respect and say oh that's a PM that is Outwardly facing,
0: yeah, and I think you know, there's a range for every PM to have some of that flexibility. And I think uh, if you look at it, even things like analyst relationships, right? Analysts—that's a good (laughs)
1: one—who
0: would first like to talk to the product manager, then the product marketing manager, then the actual like head of marketing. Like they want—they want to stay as far away from from marketing. Usually, they want to talk to a lot of times, ideally the engineers usually that doesn't happen too much. Usually they don't let analysts go directly to the engineers. But product's a nice middle ground where you're actually getting you know, how the sausage is made pretty clearly from someone close to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great place for a PM to flex their outwardly facing muscle, if you will, where they can put together all of those three different areas where you talk about business, you talk about user experience, and you can talk about engineering or technology, especially for software products.
0: Yeah, and if you're at a smaller company, 10 or 20, that's a great starting point. A lot of big launches still be driven from the press side by the CEO there. But once you're at a 50, 100 person company, you actually start to take on some of those press responsibilities. It all depends on the size of the launch, but what about for those PMs that are the fairly large organizations? I think about, you know, the
1: the ten thousand person company type places.
0: Expect to talk to the press. Expect to be a public face. Not every PM will be right at a ten thousand person company. How many PMs do you have? Fifty, a um, uh, 200?
1: A lot. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's leave it there.
0: <laughs> and you know, at a, a large ten thousand person company, you're going to have fifty to 100 hundred five hundred people that are certified to speak on behalf of the company publicly. And any, at that size, most likely publicly traded company, maybe not, is probably going to have a certification process for for how do you actually get this approval and stamp and say, okay, they can speak for us. But there is that opportunity there. Now, you're not going to come in as a junior PM right out of school or right over from engineering and have that ability. But there are kind of the, you know, B-list, C-list, D-list, D-list, Media that you can gradually start to interact with, and analyst is a great place to start.
1: Analyst uh, briefings were probably one of my one of the things that, when I first started doing them, were incredibly intimidating. But over time, like I think you're right, you you kind of get a sense of how to talk to external parties, how to talk up what you're
0: doing, and and make the team look great as a result. You start to say things like how we see the market moving and industry trends and and that sort of thing, and you you
1: get to use all those great emotional words
0: like exciting and uh, you know powerful. Uh, but in, actually, in reality, you know, analysts and press are a whole other area of product that is an important one, sometimes foreign, especially early on. But it's one of those things that as you grow, you start to have more of those responsibilities, just like the CEO. Exactly. And
1: I, th- I think as we start sussing out this conversation between what it means to be a CEO, what it means to be a PM, we're seeing a lot of parallels. And that one difference, again, is just that legitimate power. It's You've got that authority as a CEO to just do whatever
0: you need to do to your organization. So where are we at? Are we 90% CEO, 80%? It actually sounds like we started off on one side of, no, they're very much not. And as we went through the the list of items of you know what is the CEO doing, what is the PM doing, what is their skill set, what is their knowledge, we seem to be fairly close. Uh,
1: I would I would probably say about eighty percent. You know, I I think that there's a lot of stuff that the CEO has to do that is not within the wheelhouse for PMs. That, again comes back to some of that stuff that you said about having to deal with things like the financials, accounting, HR. Those are things that aren't necessarily PM concerns. But the CEO has to worry about those, that stuff as well. Granted they have individuals that are hired that are required to manage those areas. PMs don't have that. And in some ways, you know, if your project team doesn't have a project manager as a PM, you're you're pretty much it.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think that's an interesting one is that uh in some cases, a product manager may manage a P&L, but usually they're not truly managing the PL just like the CEO does for the entire company, right?
1: Exactly. So I think I would put it at 80%. I might bring that down just a little bit. I mean, I think there's a lot of overlap, but I think when it comes to the actual operations of the business day in, day out, you know, that's where the CEO's got way more responsibility than a PM.
0: Yep. And I think that it's it would be unfair to underestimate any of that responsibility and the high burden that comes along with that responsibility, right? Oh,
1: exactly. CEO is an extremely stressful job. Like you said, you are on the hook for making this a successful business, making it a going concern, making sure that the individuals that are working as part of your organization are taken care of. I mean, whatever benchmark you use to determine taken care of, quote-unquote. But that's a lot of responsibility. And... I'm glad I just deal with the product right now.
0: Yeah, it actually sounds a, a lot easier right about now.
1: <laughs> I'm glad we agree on that. Okay, so you know, we talk about CEO having way more responsibility, but I think with the PM being a job where maybe 80, 70, 60% of it is kind of like being a CEO, uh, I I actually see being a PM as a great job to springboarding into that CEO job. And I've I've actually seen that pattern quite often.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great trial, if you, especially if you want to do your own thing, where you have to do a lot of it, right? If you're a good PM, at an earlier stage, more junior PM, even more experienced PM, but not strategy, high, high level, you have to do a lot of things. So if you're thinking about doing your own thing, it's a great opportunity to, what do I need to know about marketing? What do I need to know about sales? What do I need to know about the engineering? How do I create a roadmap? How do I create my messaging? There's a ton of pieces that all tie together, and there's a, a lot of juggling that goes on, so it can be a, a great springboard for how do I become a CEO? Now, I say that as a CEO of a small startup, your own thing, five person company, 10 person company. I think if you're you're coming into a 20, 100 person company, you may need more of that senior product experience, more of an experience running a large team. There's there's a different skill set as you come into a larger company.
1: Well, that's that's the that's the PM ladder that I, I don't think we've talked about that yet on this on this show, but you know, I would expect that somebody that's going to do that for a very large organization kind of climbs that ladder a little bit or at least does something expansive, amazing, maybe gets acquired or something like that and then is able to then get to those higher levels. But you know, throughout this this episode, you know, we've talked about the PM actually getting that experience, being in front of customers, in front of the public, talking about things. Like You're grooming yourself ultimately for that job if you want to go get it.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, as you as we talk about having that more senior level experience, climbing that ladder, usually you've had some of the deeper experience, some of some of the other areas too, right? You have some experience either deeply in engineering or in sales or in marketing, and you have it in product because many CEOs come with a pretty diverse background, but also you know miss a few, but you have to have some area of expertise, and usually it's more than one.
1: So I think the uh, the lesson here today is if you're really interested in becoming a CEO be a PM because you'll be CEO-like. You will not be CEO of your product area, but you will be well on your way to uh, getting the skills needed to kind of move up in that direction. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a PM topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproduct
0: at heavybit.com or on Twitter at practicalproduct. To learn more about HeavyBit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders.